This episode of Reality Life with Kate Casey is brought to you in part by milk. Keep listening to discover how milk adds more to your day. Now, here's the show. The amazing Kate Casey. Welcome back to another episode of Reality Life with Kate Casey. I hope that you have had an outstanding week. There are so many TV shows to talk about. So let's start at the top. A bunch of people told me I needed to check out Yummy Mummies on Netflix. This show is about four Australian women making lavish preparations for their new babies. So that means from like bouquets of money to horse-drawn carriages, opulent baby showers. They're spending a ton of money. Okay. Here's the thing. If you are buying designer baby clothes, you need to ask yourself where it's all gone wrong. Nobody needs a size three months Versace pair of baby pants. It's the same people who buy bedazzled baby shoes. Your baby can't walk, okay? Your baby lays down for the first five, six months of their lives. So there's really no point in buying them sneakers. You don't need rims on your baby stroller. I don't even have a baby stroller, okay? So stop spending so much money. One of these women wanted to have 200 people at her baby shower. Let me tell you something. People might go to a wedding because there's dancing and there's alcohol and there's usually some good food and the possibility of making out with somebody in the bridal party. They don't want to go to your baby shower. I'm telling you, I know this to be true. This is why I have baby showers with karaoke and alcohol. Maybe they'll show up to that. They're not going to come to your baby shower that's at like 1030 in the morning just because your cake is designed to look like a, a Tiffany box. Trust me on this. So If you want to watch a show about four women in Australia who talk extremely slow and have nothing better to talk about than how they still need to dress sexy despite the fact they've got a baby growing in their lady cavity, then this is the show for you. For me, it was pretty painful. And I have to note that when you're watching it, one of the girls, Maria, has a mother, Marguerite, who's incredibly annoying. Obviously, she is extremely happy at age 70 plus to be on television. Some of the scenes where she's with her daughter, I have to say she looks totally different in her confessionals. Like there was some serious plastic surgery procedure that was done and the editors couldn't do anything about it. So you've got one face in the beginning of the show and one face at the end. And it's it's a little bit distracting. Sister Wives is back on TLC. I have heard that that show has been almost got canceled twice. I have to assume that this could be true. And here's why. The storylines on that show are pretty weak. Like it's the premiere episode and they (laughs) spent a good amount of the time talking about how one of the kids is scoliosis. I mean, it's like an after school special. No one cares about your daughter who has scoliosis. Trust me. The other thing is they're still talking about Mary being catfished. That is the most played out story. Basically, Mary started talking online with somebody named Sam, whom she thought was in love with her. And Sam turned out to be a woman. And this person has catfished a bunch of people. And to legitimize the fact that she was catfished by this person, she keeps trying to get Cody and the other women to meet other victims of the catfishing. Robin, Janelle, Christine, they do not care about this at all. And it's pretty funny to watch. So she wrote them into going to a dinner with a woman named Christy, who by all accounts seems normal with the exception of the two strands of pink hair that she clips in. But 
to listen to their stories about how they were duped by this person named Sam is so infuriating. I mean, if you couldn't have figured this out in 30 minutes, you've got some serious issues. So the other sister wives have no interest in it. And Cody is sitting there the entire time. And he's got, by the way, he's pulled up his hair. His hair is like shoulder length now. And it's one of those hairstyles that's like, basically it's between an Ogilvy home perm that's grown out and uh, like a flat iron. So it's like, it, it's it's straddling in between there. So it's sort of wavy. It, so, but it can't make a decision if it's one, if the hair wants to be straight or curly. Well, he pulled it up into a top knot. So that's pretty distracting. But I just think that all of them hate Mary. And I can kind of see why. Mary is super aggressive. Like you, she's very defensive. You can't ask her anything. She just flips out. And I know this because I thought a couple months ago, maybe if I join her Lululemon group and go onto one of her Facebook live interviews, that could be my way of asking her to do some sort of interview because it's pretty hard to get through to anybody in the sister wives group, I guess, unless you're going to buy one of their trinkets from the sister's closet. So I went on the Lululemon, like the live show. And in between her talking about leggings and shirts, I asked her if she would go on the show. And she basically yelled at me through the screen and said, I am not doing any interviews. I'm only here to talk about Lululemon products. So I kind of get it. Like I can imagine if they went to her and said, all right, let's cut the shit. Why in the world would you be communicating with somebody named Sam? Like, obviously, you're not getting the sexual and emotional needs that you have met. And if you want to branch out, it's cool with us. You're not even legally married to Cody anymore. You don't want to hang out with us. You bought that bed and breakfast in Utah. Like, let's cut the shit. Like, go off and be with somebody else. And if you ask her anything, she just screams at you. So I can kind of say I'm sort of like in an adjacent situation where I feel like I've been victimized to some degree to marry. So um, I hope that doesn't blow the chances of a a possible interview in the future. But my point is that um, I can kind of understand where the other sister wives are coming from. Oh, and they're also high talented out of Las Vegas. They're leaving the cul-de-sac and apparently they're trying to move to Arizona. Some of the sister wives are not too happy about it. The kids are upset. Cody is just hell bent on getting out of Vegas. So I don't know what happened in Vegas. I don't know. Like, I think all those houses are paid off. I don't know how they're going to get some sort of situation where those homes can all be sold at the same time. But maybe I'll still keep following for that reason. Also, sister seeking sister wives is back. This show's super creepy. It's basically about people who are seeking the extra partners into their relationship. And this season, we have Ashley and Dimitri back. So they're the couple with three children. Well, last season she was pregnant, but he seems really creepy. Like the sister wife situation is not for religious reasons. It's because he would like to spread his seeds. And she keeps talking about how she wants another sister wife to be like a best friend. And it's like, eh, I don't know. Do you want somebody to hang out with to do the laundry? Or are you also trying to get some pleasurable situations out of this? Well, last season... They brought this girl in. Now, she was clearly like 20 years old and wanted to launch a modeling career. She boned Dimitri, wasn't honest about it the following day at brunch, so they kicked her to the curb. So they pretended in this opening season premiere episode that they were considering this other candidate. And she was clearly clearly not their type. Like much older, didn't weigh, like weighed much more than the first 
wife that they checked out. So it was pretty obvious that she was just sort of planted there to make it seem like they were looking at other people. But apparently they've got a new woman that's going to come in. They're going to take her out for a spin. Another another like model-ish type. So we'll see where that goes. But I did have some questions about what this guy Dimitri does. Like, how does he afford this lifestyle? So it says that he's an ontological uh, architect on his Instagram. So I'm like, what the hell is ontological? So it says of or relating to ontology, the branch of metaphysics that studies the nature of existence or being as such. So basically, he's saying that he's a metaphysical designer or architect. So ask yourself right now, what the hell does that mean? If you consider yourself that, they're like, what are you building? So I went to his website. He makes websites and he makes websites for musicians. And one of them is this very attractive woman who has very large breasts. So I don't know what's really going on there. I'm just saying, let's put up a a red flag. Like something is, and we need to get to the bottom of it is my point. This week's episode is so good. So good. And I'm so excited for you to listen because I was able to talk to Mark Wahlberg. He is the host of Temptation Island. That show has been rebooted. Many, many, many people have asked me over the years, what happened to the original cast, which I do ask Mark about. But happy to tell you that that show is back because it is a real treasure. So you take these four couples. They're about to break up. They don't know. You know, they're at a crossroads in their relationship. So what what do they do? What do they do to figure it out? They go to Maui and they're around 24 single people and the singles are trying to taunt them, to lure them into leaving their partner. So they have the question, they ask, they're asking each other, can we withstand having someone basically try to give us a lap dance every day or should we stay together? So that's a great one. I have spent so much time this week researching the fire festival. I'm obsessed with it. So it was this music festival that was supposed to take place on the Bahamian island of Great Exuma over two weekends in April and May of 2017. And basically, it all fell apart. And so you need to watch the documentaries to sort of see what happened. And they're both very fascinating to watch. They're so interesting that you want to just spend all your time researching news articles, interviews, etc. So one is called Fire Fraud and other is just called Fire, I believe. And one is on Hulu and one is on Netflix. So I found Jack Goshi. He attended the fire Festival. So I had to find somebody and get to the bottom of it. Like what was really going on while you were there? So not only will he talk to you about what he thought about the two documentaries, but he'll tell you what it was like to be there. My old dear, dear friend, Francine, has borderline OCD like I do. And that's because we went to boarding school together. So I asked her to review Netflix's show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. So this is a reality TV show developed for Netflix that follows Marie Kondo. She is a Japanese organizing consultant and creator of this method where she visits families and helps them declutter their lives. So I wanted to see what she thought about it because um, let's just say it wasn't my favorite show. And then lastly, I've got an interview with Devin Hammond. She is an executive producer of A&E's Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath, which is a really interesting show to watch. So it's action packed this week, guys, and it's a little bit longer than usual. But I just felt like, you know, lots of people in this country are sitting at home this week facing shitty weather, rain, snow, they're freezing cold. And I feel like it was my duty to give to you 
some more fascinating tidbits about TV shows this week. So here we go. Okay, I'm obsessed with Audible because it lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And with female writers and heroines, celebrity narration, multicast productions, Audible has you covered for every type of excitement that you're looking for, including true crime and mystery. And I know all of you love that too. For example, right now, I'm listening to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. That's audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. Mark Wahlberg is the host of the revived series Temptation Island on USA Network. Now the show takes four couples to Maui only to be welcomed by 24 single men and women hoping to lure them out of their relationships and into their arms. Mark, I can't even tell you how excited I am to talk to you. <laughs> it's nice to talk to you, too. Do you think there's any way, better way to prove your love for somebody than to travel to paradise with three other couples and 24 single men and women to see if you should get married? I think any other way is better, <laughs> uh, frankly. And... Um, it boggles my mind that, you know, there's a line of people that are willing to go, but I can tell you that if this is the route you choose, you're definitely going to find out your answers. This show is so unique. Well, you know, when it first came out, it was such a hit for Fox and, um, it was one of the original reality shows. Um, and I think, you know, there are some things about this that, you know, Today's reality audience is, uh, is sure to embrace in that the story is great, the cast is great, but the concept is sort of time uh, time proven. It's the same search that everybody seems to have been on, you know, forever, you know, to find that that one person. So um, the fact that there's no prize in this, that people are doing this for their own reasons, I find very interesting. And so, uh, yeah, that, I think it's definitely a unique experience. Did you get a sense from any of them that maybe they knew showing up that their relationship was toast, but they were hopeful that the exposure from the show would at least get them an opportunity to sell teas or other products on Instagram? You know, even back when we did this show many, many years ago, I wasn't naive to the fact that there are two reasons to go on a show. One is the one you say to producers and to the audience. I have problems with my relationship and I'm looking for answers. And the other is what is underlying, which is somehow your life is going to improve by being on TV. And what I tell them possibly on camera, but probably off camera, and I'm sure I've said it several times, regardless of your reason for being there, you're still going to come to the same end. You're still going to know where you are in your relationship and you're still going to, uh, you know, leave here with, um, a better understanding of why you came in the first place. A lot of people have noted to me that you actually sound like a therapist sometimes on the show. <laughs> is this be- well, I'm far from a therapist. Is this because you've had your own love experience that you can kind of offer your wisdom? Or do you feel like you have a PhD in television love at this point? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I don't have a PhD in anything. And I try not to offer advice. Um, 
you know, occasionally it comes out just because the conversations are real, but uh, it's really not my goal to advise. And uh, my only expertise is by virtue of the fact that I'm older than everybody. So the of the four couples, we've got Nicole and Carl, who basically met at a gym. John and Katie. That's right. John's not manly enough. What does that mean? What does she want him to do? Does she want him to skin an animal in front of her? You know, I, I kind of get that sense because to me, he seems like a Texas good old boy man, you know? Yeah. He's a big, beefy dude, you know? And uh, But I, I kind of get that Texas mentality. I'm from South Carolina, and I know, you know, it's that FarmersOnly.com mentality, you know? And maybe she's looking for more of a, uh, you know, camo-wearing, truck-driving dude, and, and hopefully she'll find something like that. But, you know, again, this is an example of there are the – questions you came to the island and the answers you were hoping for and you're going to get answers but the questions are going to change entirely right and that's as much of a hint as i can get shari and javen okay these two met in high school i can tell you with my degree in armchair psychology that those two yes have quite a bit of problems and probably won't make it in the long run were you as uncomfortable as i was when she said she wasn't impressed with the singles I was concerned that we needed to get an alternate couple to come in after day two. Yeah. And that's how concerned I was. I will tell you that um, I'm glad they didn't leave and their storyline gets terrific. Oh, good. So okay. there's a lot to watch there. Then we have Casey and Evan. Casey is has been living in sin. Her parents are super religious. And then we right. have Evan, whose father was murdered. And... Uh, is that crazy? That's the craziest story ever. Now, on paper, you're like, well, no kidding. He doesn't want to be committed. Were you as transfixed by these two as I was? I was absolutely transfixed. And you won't believe this when I tell you, but it wasn't until after we finished taking the show that I was aware of Evan's full story. Oh, wow. So so I was transfixed just by their dynamic. I think, um, you know, he's incredible to watch and he really let's just say you know he fully embraces the experience and and casey and i had the greatest relationship born out of and i I haven't seen episode two but i I think it's in the first bonfire that we kind of butt heads pretty hard it may have been cut out i really don't know because i haven't seen it and then we kind of bonded beyond that and so uh she's a ride man she is a ride and um and boy, is, is there going to be a lot to watch. Did you have security measures set up in case someone wanted to throw another person into the fire? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we had security just because it was a TV set, but I don't think we ever um, uh, got, you know, uh, where I w- was uneasy around the bonfire. It was uncomfortable almost entirely, but uh, I don't think we ever really needed security. Although if anything had gone wrong, the size of these dudes, I'm, there's nothing I could do. Yeah. nothing I could do. And the women are beasts too. So I would have just been, you know, I would have just, you know, run. So here's speed round of questions. Ready? Hit me. Did you ever see people making out like, like borderline boning and it made you uncomfortable? Yeah. yeah yes, absolutely. Are you talking <laughs> about on the show or in life? Because nope. both are true. <laughs> on the show, like, uh, 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 I'm sure you're privy to way I more think, than I am, but am I, I going to watch this no. TV show with one hand on my eyeball? You're going to watch it with one hand on your eyeball, and I will be watching with you because you need to know 
that the part you see me on TV is my experience. I have no idea. I haven't seen, I've seen episode one. I don't know. And even in episode one, all the cross talk that was happening during the singles reveal and all that, I couldn't hear any of that. So I'm seeing it for the first time. So I'm kind of excited to see the episode. Was it hard for you to hear because they had that waterfall contraption in the home? Uh, no, I, I, yeah, maybe that had something to do with it, although I was far away and they were whispering. But the waterfall contraption, by the way, is part of a home. It wasn't added for the show. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, that kind yeah. of... Uh, so some people live like that. That kind of answers but sort of my question, which is, do you watch from the comfort of a hotel while smoking a cigar and eating nachos? Um, I watch from my uh, corner of the house when I'm on set, which is not often. And the rest I see when it airs on TV. So when they're filming and you're not working, are you just touring the island? You're going to get like shaved ice and surfing? Uh, that, that pretty much sums it up, yeah. I mean, I'm reading whatever updates are being given to me and I'm, aware, I'm available for what any other work that needs to happen. But the truth is the show's about the couples and the singles and um, I do my thing and I get out of the way until they need me. Okay, so this is basically the greatest job that's ever been conceived. Okay, are you? I kind of, I kind of didn't want everybody to know that. But I yeah, know. It's I feel the greatest like greatest job ever conceived. We just let the cat out of the bag. Are you and the crew yeah. taking bets with Monopoly money? Um, there may be uh, some games of chance afoot. I, uh, I'm above that. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You know, on the first temptation island, I think there actually was a line in Vegas. Um, but I feel that I have to re- recuse myself because of you know, inside info. So I'm not oh. part of any betting pool. Drinking games, yes. Betting pool, no. Okay. Uh, are you horrified uh, when they start fighting with each other, or are you secretly excited? I and my wife will attest to this. I hate confrontation. I'm Southern, so I hate any kind of confrontation. That's why we in the South say, bless your heart, when we really want to say something else. Because we don't want any confrontation, and yet I find myself uh, hosting these shows that are highly confrontational. So I live in a state of unease. <laughs> Can you tell me whether there was any temptation for the partners to date each other rather than the singles? For the partners to date each other rather than the singles, meaning cross-dating within the couples? You would be correct, sir. Yes. Uh, I, I hate to boil it down to a clinical um uh, moniker, but uh, uh, cross-sitting within the couples, I don't think uh, from my seat there was the opportunity nor the impetus. Okay, all right. Senator. Uh, <laughs> are you invested in these relationships? Like, if it doesn't work out for them, like a year from now, will you kick a wall? You know, I want to give you a pithy answer uh, for comedy's sake, but I must give you the truth, which is I'm 100% invested in all of them. And, uh, and, uh, it's the only way I know how to do the job. So I don't know that I will kick a wall, but I will, um, possibly wear black for the day if, if it doesn't work out. Again, like we mentioned, the last show was in 2001. People are dying to know what are some of the updates on the former contestants? I have no idea to the point that we did this first season. And uh, as we've talked about, I was, you know, I, I get highly invested in the couples and I really felt like we had bonded and had something real. And then we had the reunion wedding uh, episode and I see everybody for the first time since we shot. And um, I got a little bit of new phone who this, 
you know, <laughs> got a little big leagued by the cast. So uh, I haven't really kept up. I wish them the best. I hope they're doing great. Would it be weird to you if one of these couples get married and have a child and name the baby either Mark or Wahlberg? I really am hoping for Markel because it's, it's unisex. Right. And I'm also uh, uh, taking a preemptive uh, move to uh, uh, get ordained in case they need me to officiate at any weddings. Well, you know how that's going to happen. Do you ever... I'm a full service host. If you were on Sunset Boulevard and you saw Chris Harrison, would you high-five him or would you do like some sort of karate kid kick? Uh, I would absolutely hug him. Maybe there'd be a high-five. There might be even some sort of a genuflecting reference. I don't know. Um, But certainly there would be no kick. Mostly because, you know, I wouldn't have stretched out and probably have on dress shoes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Tell everybody to what they need to look forward to for this season, because I've seen the commercials. I've seen like the previews, but tell me something that we don't know yet that just like, just give us like a little nugget, a nugget of something that is going to propel <clears throat> us for the rest of the season that we need to look forward to. Oh boy. What nugget can I get you before? Like, you know, uh, you know, the handlers cut up, cut the line. Um, let's see. Well, let's just say, um, let's just say there are three outcomes that can happen at the end of the show. It can be, um, and I may be really saying too much here, but I'm going to say that you can either leave with the person you came with finding that you have true love. You can leave by yourself, realizing that this relationship isn't for you, but you haven't found true love. Or you can leave with someone else in the hopes of love with someone new. So the, I'll tell you that all three of these outcomes occur. Okay, I'll take it. Um, okay, that's about all I can do, man. That's, a, that's about it. And I probably said too much. So everybody needs to tune in because this show is you're going to be obsessed. When I say obsessed, I mean you're going to be wanting to – talk to people about this at the CVS. So tell everybody where they can track you down and where they can catch the show. Uh, well, the show you can catch on USA network. Um, also go to, uh, I think USA network.com. I think they, uh, pre-released episode one to YouTube. So you can search for temptation Island or temptation TV. Um, and, uh, let's see. I mean, you can find me at, at Mark L Wahlberg on Twitter. And at Mark Wahlberg on Instagram. I'm a lover of handbags. Some people, they collect tchotchkes. I like to collect clutch bags. And that's why I love Poshmark, which really helps you buy from millions of closets in America. Think about it. Have you noticed that some people buy a great handbag and maybe take it out for a spin and then let it sit unused in their closet? Well, on Poshmark, you can buy those bags and make them your own. Like right now, I'm eyeing a small YSL crossbody in black suede. So in the event someone asks me to go out for cocktails, I can have a cute new bag. All you have to do is download the free Poshmark app. They carry women's, kids, and men's items. They've got tons of brands to shop for, including Chanel, Tory Burch, even YSL. And you will not believe the deals that you will find on Poshmark. It's the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items. Shipping is easy for both the seller and the buyer, and they've got super fast shipping. You can share your Poshmark closet handle and you can tell all your friends to find you on the app. Listeners of Reality Life with Kate Casey get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code REALITY5 when you sign up. 
That's invite code REALITY5. I know everybody right now is on a health kick, and that's why I want to tell you about Row Body Program. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes, so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. It could be you too. Row Body Program members have support throughout the process. Row's partner handles all of the insurance paperwork to help get medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to the provider on demand for any questions. And you can sign up online from the comfort of your own home. And this means no scheduling a doctor's appointment, no commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.com slash KKC. Sign up today and you're going to pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash KKC. I am obsessed with the recent documentaries about the failed 2017 Fire Festival, which saw thousands of music lovers stranded on a Bahamian island without food or water or a place to sleep. Truly a nightmare event. From the conception, the creation, the utter demise of which has been captured in two different documentaries. There's Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened, available on Netflix, and Fire Fraud, available on Hulu. I am thrilled to tell you that I track somebody who is actually at the festival. Jack Goshi is an aspiring writer that falls for too many Instagram ads, sometimes for t-shirts, sometimes for ill-fated music festivals. He lives and works in LA, and he's here with me now. Jack, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Take me back to the beginning. How did you find out about the Fire Festival? I found out about it like uh, most people did, I think, in the initial parts. It was the uh, the really well done promotional video. I, I was at work. I, I work in sales, my day job, and I was just kind of hanging around the office, scrolling through Instagram, and I saw this really, you know, interesting video. Guys on jet skis, models, it's very appealing to twenty seven year old guy, and. Uh, I had just met, who's my girlfriend of two and a half years now. I had met her like a month or two before. So I wanted to impress her. And I, at the time, the prices were pretty low. A lot of people, you know, they throw out the like yacht numbers and 10 grand, 50 grand. At the time, it was, I believe, 2300 ahead, uh, which is certainly not cheap. But in my eyes, it was, you know, a trip to the Bahamas for a festival. And my girlfriend likes festivals. I certainly am not a festival guy, so I didn't really know what I was doing, but it seemed like a cool thing. I asked her if she wanted to go. She said, sure. I mean, I showed her the video once and she was like, oh my God, let's do it. Uh, And that's how it all kind of came to start. So at that point, it was just supermodels hanging out on boats and people running on the beach like it was a Baywatch ripoff. Did anybody know at that point what bands were supposed to be attending? I believe when I booked, they had announced the Good Music family was how they put it. Now, I trust me, I had to Google that. Um, but from what I could tell, I remember thinking Kanye might be there. Worst case, maybe we end up with Pusha T. Um, but I really, you know, I want to emphasize like it was right when it was happening. I felt like I was getting in early. As simple as it sounds or as funny as it is to look back, I really must admit 
a really well done video with models and jet skis and the promise of future artists signing on was enough for me to say like, screw it, let's take a chance. You're kind of searching for reasons to be excited because I forked over this money. And by the way, I did the payment plan. I'm by no means loaded. So I wasn't like one of these. They like to portray everyone who went as like, kind of like the guys in the documentary. They're wearing like vineyard vines, button downs. You can kind of tell people hate them, even though they don't know them. Just a regular guy. I did the payment plan. I thought it was going to get better. They started announcing people that are like kind of exciting, but not really. I mean, they said like Tyga's going to come. I can't say that I uh, had me fist pumping, but it was enough collectively where I thought like it's enough like decent artists and it's on a beach. You know, again, it's, it's I kept thinking I would normally pay somewhat around this money to just go to an island like this in general. And if some people happen to play music there and it's kind of cool, it'll be worth it. Two of my good friends. Um, who I used to live with in San Diego, college buddies of mine, you know, I wanted to go with other people. I didn't want to just go with only my girlfriend and not know anyone. So I shot them the video. I sent it to a bunch of people actually. And I've had a lot of people text me this week, like, dude, I can remember you G chatting me this video. And I was like, Oh shit, I wish I could go. And so I got two nibbles, which that's on me. Those guys can blame me. Um, and they ended up signing up as well to come. They will never let me live that down. <laughs> but I did get two of my friends to come. And uh, so there was like basically a group of us, four or five that were going together. So your combined package was the nest package. What was the nest package? That was also like a PTSD moment from the show because they were, sh- or excuse me, from the documentaries. They would show like screenshots from the website and all with the drawings. So in the beginning, we did the nest because, again, I was with my girlfriend. I wanted some privacy. It seemed like the best deal. Um, and then, like, as the event started getting closer, as everyone knows by now, they started taking those pictures down. And then um, they started, like, kind of teasing out images on their Instagram where you could kind of make out what looked like a what's now known famously as a geodesic dome, AKA like a hurricane tent. There's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of like, I did learn from this whole thing. I hope, you know, I'm really not an idiot, but there's a lot of like in hindsight moments that you, you start thinking like, how did I think that would be cool? But I remember just trying to be upbeat about it. I guess I'm generally a positive person. So my thought process rarely was, Oh my God, they're putting us on Katrina tents. It was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, a geodesic dome on the beach. I mean, they gave it a different name, so I thought it was something else. (laughs) So the first thing right before that I'd love to add is that I was on the plane next to a guy who was the brother of someone really high up with fire. I could, I could actually tell on the Netflix documentary because he looks really similar to his brother. He, He wasn't like interviewed or anything, but he was in a lot of the scenes. So this guy was like plugged in and he was like, it's going to be amazing. This is why I really believe a lot of the people weren't totally sure how much of like a shit show it was going to be. He was like, it's going to be amazing. We're going to turn this into the Earth, Wind and Fire Festival. It's going to be like all over the world. This is just the first one. This is like on the plane going there. There's already the first plane has already landed and people are already like on the beach getting drunk. So then we get there. Oh, he did also ask me on the plane. He looked at me and he said, you, you do know that they're tense right and i was like yeah yeah that's fine starting to get you know alarm bells at this point so we land and um the netflix doc did a good job of showing this part they kind of just put us in buses and right away ferried us to that poor lady's 
beachside bar. The lady who's now had the famous like GoFundMe to to cheer her up from the whole disaster. So we get to the bar and right now I'm feeling pretty good. I have my luggage. My girlfriend does too. We only had carry-ons. We get to this beautiful beach. Ladies just pouring drinks for everybody. Like it's all just do whatever you want. There's a bunch of people there hanging out, knew some friends of friends. There's a big dock. People are jumping on boats. Like boats are just coming up randomly and taking people to the pig Island. Um, so at first it was pretty cool and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be fine. Then that's when it started to descend into chaos and behind the scenes, obviously now we know chaos was already happening. The storm had happened the day before. There's a lot of discussion about whether that really was like the final death knell, but I think it was completely screwed regardless. That just made it worse. So they're frantically trying to put the tents together and everything in the, while, while everyone is just delaying at the beach, getting blacked out. So now you have a couple hundred kids, very aggressively drunk and the sun is going down in this kind of like dystopian way. And they throw us back on the buses. And my bus was, I believe, the second or third bus to arrive at the uh, at the actual grounds. So when we arrived, in the, in the docks, they show, like, the first people arriving. And they're kind of, like, dumbfounded at what they're coming to. I, ours was even scarier because we got there and there's chaos already unfolding. People are running around like Lord of the Flies, like, trying to claim tents. And it was dark, by the way. So, like, you kind of have those moments if you've ever been outside in the dark and, like, a, a person just runs by <laughs> and, oh like, God. briefly is in your line of sight and then out. <laughs> so it felt like a vampire movie or a zombie movie or something. And I'm, like, trying to protect my girlfriend. There was a little bit of, you know, there was some fear. I didn't – it seemed like a completely lawless place. Now, I didn't really think there was going to be much – trouble with all these like brads and chads running around but it was still like there was definitely no supervision no police no nothing um so my girlfriend kind of pulled us into the dark and she she'll make fun of me for this forever but she actually ran into the dark said wait here came back had found a tent and she pulled me into the tent and we managed to claim one uh, and like throw our stuff in there so we did get ourselves our very own geodesic dome as promised yeah, so we we watched the docs, and at one point, um, my girlfriend looked over. She paused it and looked over at me, and she's like, "Does this make you feel stupid?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is like such a loaded question as I'm watching like the documentaries. But I really can say it's kind of both. It's a hedging answer. But on the one hand, before the fire festival, if if you had told someone this is possible, you would have thought they're insane. The fact that they would try and like just straight lie to like thousands of people. And then, you know, it seemed like destined to fail. So my first thought, I'm a little bit of like a truster in general of people, you know, like I don't lock my door all the time. And that I just think like, Hey, the odds are with me. It probably won't happen to me. And I definitely had some of that going with this festival. I thought, you know, they're making all these videos. They're spending all this money. It's 2018 or 2017, whenever it was like the chances of this being fake completely never entered my mind. On the other hand, everything else they talk about on the documentaries in hindsight is a huge red flag. I remember emailing them pretty aggressively in the days leading up or the weeks leading up, I should say, and the emails just stopping. Like six months out, they were pretty quick about a response for a question. Within a month, it was nothing. They were directing us to this concierge email. Nobody was responding. I remember seeing people talking to the 
are like commenting on the Instagram, what the hell's going on? We don't know what flight we're on. I do remember the fire fraud Twitter. The guy talks in the documentary about no one going to his Twitter. I was on there. So I can't say I was clueless, but at this point, here's my other argument. I'm already, I already paid the money. The, the like five grand is gone and the, the flight to Miami is purchased. Everything else is on them. So my choice was either go and roll the dice or stay home and eat the five grand anyway. I mean, it, it's a much better story to say I was at the fire festival and I ate one of those cheese sandwiches rather than I almost went and I stayed back in LA. So I'm glad I went. So you came back home and did you get emails from Billy McFarlane afterwards about his other business? I did. So I, I, when I was watching the documentary, um, I did pull up my email. My girlfriend, I never knew it was him at the time, but when I saw these emails in a really specific kind of format offering these like things, I remembered getting them. And I was like, I get so much trash email, like everybody that I, I didn't really think twice about it. Um, but I looked and I searched NYC VIP in my emails. Sure enough, there's five emails that come right up. I was lucky in a lot of ways for this whole experience, which I think is why I'm able to look at it and laugh. I got all my money back and I'm actually grateful to Chase Bank for that. Actually, a funny story. When I first called the customer support line, it was like two days after I'd gotten back from Miami and a guy answered with like a very customer service voice. Like, hello, this is Chase Bank. How can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I need to speak to the fraud department. I was, um, have you seen that whole thing about the festival in the Bahamas? And he was like, Oh, no way, dude. The fire fest, you were there. Hang on, let me transfer you. <laughs> so, oh. But I did uh, get through to Chase and like I sent like emails to their corporate office and eventually they just refunded me, I think out of their own pocket. They basically were oh. like this is screwed up. Here's your money back. So I actually got the full 5,000 back. So to me, again, when I look back at the whole weekend, we had carry-on luggage, so I didn't have to go through the luggage fiasco. That was insane, by the way, not represented to its fullest on the documentary. Like, can't explain the scene when we walked by, pitch black, everybody hammered, and they open the back of two 18-wheelers and just dump out, like, hundreds of bags of luggage. And people are just scrambling, fighting, trying to find, as they said in the documentary, their black bag, like, out of a sea of black bags. It's insane. So I didn't have to deal with that. I got my money back. It ended up being kind of a great story and a free weekend in Miami. So I kind of made out pretty good. This was a month into your relationship and you and your beautiful girlfriend are still together. Do you <laughs> in some ways thank the Fire Festival for the union that you probably will have? Fire Festival was a major part of our origin story. Um, we were in a zone where we were really into each other, but it was not, you know, we had been dating two months, a month. There wasn't anything crazy. I mean, by the time of the festival, maybe four or five months, my mother right away after that was like, called me and was like, tell you what, if she's staying with you after that, she's a keeper. (laughs) (laughs) If Billy McFarlane is let out of prison for some reason, will you have him officiate the wedding and will Jaw Rule perform? (laughs) I don't know if I'd be able to get in touch with Ja Rule because booking is an artist is so difficult unless I use the fire app. But Billy, you know, really kind of ticks me off after watching the, the documentary. He guy knew what he was doing. And I like 
took some offense to this whole like boy genius portrayal of Thank him. You. I, I think Thank if you. anything, the people, you know, the people who were the geniuses were like the guys who maybe put that promotional video together on an Island on short Agreed. notice or the people, you know, doing the buzz. Cause they were able to make, mm-hmm. you know, chicken salad out of chicken. You know what Billy, to me, it seemed like from watching this, his comeuppance was coming, whether the fire festival happened or not. The whole Magnesis thing, by the way, I lived in Manhattan at the time. I remember people talking about Magnesis, not a lot, but occasionally some poser would be like, oh, I'm going to this place in the West Village and like Ja Rule is going to be there and like posting <laughs> pictures with him. So like that was a scam too. He was just lying to people. If you just lie and kind of run this Ponzi scheme, like over time, it's going to catch up to you. And then in the documentaries, it's like, Oh, he's a master, no. you know, marketer. And yeah. he's like, he can sell anything. Right. I mean, didn't you feel like watching that? Like, what is this guy? Why is he so special? I mean, the whole thing reminded me of Bernie Madoff. Like he was just yep. making a new deal to pay for yesterday's deal and hoping that that fund would never run out. The other thing is like, He's really just a caricature of like a startup-y guy. They they start talking about him like he's kind of like this young Steve Jobs just because he wears like a black T-shirt and a blazer and jeans and like, you know, walks around an office that's predominantly glass. So (laughs) we have to now think of him as this startup kingpin boy. Um, And I also think he had a little bit of like a, you know, I don't know much about his childhood, but he just strikes me as one of those guys who didn't, who wasn't very popular growing up and he's yep. been trying to make up for it ever since. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to like buy his way into cool parties and throw these events and like say, Oh, we're going to party like rock stars and, and have sex like porn stars. Like get over yourself, dude. I hope that's not true while he's in prison, but anyway, he probably won't, won't be officiating the wedding. Cause I would imagine it'll happen in the next six years. Um, but hopefully he serves every day. I hope I don't wake up one day to see that he's released on good behavior because he's going to get right back to it. And one last thing is that the creepy gentleman executive, Andy King. That guy, you know, like he did a weird turn for me in the doc because obviously the blowjob scene that everyone's talking about is like a real wow moment. But he also over and over was saying I believed in this kid. I worked with him for five years. I really thought Billy was going to do it. Like you were there for five years, dude. You couldn't pick up that this was all smoke and mirrors. I also think Andy King may have been in love with Billy McFarlane. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of that, but I wouldn't put it anything past Andy King. I mean, he kind of bared his soul on a Netflix documentary in all the wrong ways. So why not? Some people remember when JFK was shot. (laughs) Some people remember when the Challenger blew up. I remember when the cheese sandwiches were served. That's my place in history. And I'm so grateful for it. How can people track you down if they want to maybe get you an appropriate sandwich or thank you for the story that you've told? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I I work in sales as a day job, but I do like to write here and there. I have a little blog called jackgashi.com. Gashi is just G-A-S-H-I. And my old running diary of the fire festivals on there, which I wrote like literally five days afterwards while it was all very fresh, as fresh as those cheese sandwiches. Um, and I, after a couple people have asked me to, I'm going to be doing a little review of each of the documentaries, letting you know what I thought of it from the ground and how it kind of compared to what I saw there. So if anyone wants to check it out, would love to see them on there. So then just tell everybody your social media. 
social media. I'm on Instagram as at Jack Gashi, first name and last name. Feel free to follow me. And uh, there's a few pictures back in the day I posted from Fire Festival at the time. So you can see it crown reporting style. Uh, you know what's not smart? Job boards that send you candidates that aren't qualified for the role you posted. You know what's not smart? Job boards that make you wait for the right people to apply to your job. You know what's not smart? Going on The Bachelor hoping you're going to find true love. You know what's not smart? Joining Real Housewives when your marriage is already falling apart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash RealityLife to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. And that's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RealityLife. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash RealityLife. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RealityLife. With four daughters and two on a dance team, I can tell you we go through a lot of mascara in my house, but I'm crazy about L'Oreal Paris new Panorama Mascara, which catches every lash for corner to corner for maximum volume. If you're looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank, this is yours. The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. I've been using it for about two weeks now, and I feel like my eye has completely opened up and the girls are crazy about it too. They've got a tapered brush to catch every lash, one of the best mascara wands that I've ever used. And like I said, this luxe appearance of this gold package, you got to get it. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. L'Oreal Paris New Panorama Mascara. You're going to love it. Tidying Up with Marie Kondo is a reality TV series developed for Netflix. Now, the show follows Marie, a Japanese organizing consultant and creator of the KonMari Method, as she visits families to help them organize and tidy their homes. She's got an interpreter that she rolls with, and the KonMari Method is organizing by gathering together all of one's belongings, one category at a time, and then keeping only the things that she calls sparking joy and choosing a place for everything from then on. I have asked Francine Serafin, my old, old friend that went to boarding school with me, to review this show, and I'm going to tell you why. Francine and I were in boarding school together in high school. We went to a school called the Milton Hershey School. When you're a student there, they make you do a god-awful amount of chores. So we would wake up in the morning and have a morning chore, go to school, come home after school, do a chore, do our homework, eat dinner, do a chore after dinner, and then go back to our rooms. Franny, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We are both very anti-mess. We have been brainwashed into making sure that where we live is extremely clean and orderly. So for me to watch the show, it was a little bit of, a bit of torture, and here's why. The people's homes that they invade are, I'd say, hoarder light. 
they're not at the stage where like they've got a bunch of cats living in a bathroom, but they're not necessarily somebody that we would want to hang out with. Like you don't want to go to their house and have a snack or anything. And they need some help organizing their stuff. What were your immediate thoughts when I asked you to, to review this show? Um, well, I was interested because I kind of have been dealing with some of these issues myself, um, having recently been living with my mom, who has a tendency to find value and, I guess, joy and everything. And like you said, obviously, we kind of come from the OCD side of things. So um, I was interested to see if I could use it as a way to kind of entice her to clean out more of her stuff. But honestly, watching it, it just gave me full on anxiety. Like the only time, the entire time I was watching it, I just kept saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, seeing all the clutter and the junk and everything that people were hoarding. It was actually kind of scary. Well, you know what sparks joy for me? Throwing shit out. That's what yeah, makes me happy. Exactly. When it's all clean and nice and everything's organized and everyone on the show, they seem to realize that at the end, but why they let it get so bad, you know, as it's going on. I mean, the, the family, like, the, you know, the stuff they had and they're talking about, oh, it's been this way for like 50 years. I'm like, oh, my God, I would have choked my husband by them. Like with a stack of baseball cards up to the ceiling. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> what do you think she and the interpreter are really talking about? Oh, I mean, they obviously, I'm sure. I mean, Marie looks so sweet and innocent. And I know in the back of her mind, she's thinking like, like I was laughing in this episode where they're walking up to the house and the woman's like, oh, these people are of Japanese descent. And then, like, as she's walking through the door, I'm thinking she's probably thinking, oh, hell no, are any of you Japanese? <laughs> like, with all the stuff in the corner. And then and then at one point, like, the the father or the mom or the son or whoever it was starts talking Japanese. And there's this, this complete look of confusion on her, on her face. And I'm like, are they saying what they think they're saying? <laughs> like, oh, so bad. But I, I think she thinks that Americans are, like, gluttonous sloths. Oh, for like, sure. That's what I think that they're, yeah, yeah, that's what they're saying. Like, as soon as they leave, they're like, oh, my God, these people are disgusting. Now, I don't want her to, like, come to my house and trip me or anything, but here are two things I have to say about the show. One, you know that the secret of these shows is that all the work is being done by production. It's not like Marie is hanging out the house and really going through all these piles of shit. It's like a production oh, person. No okay. So, right. n- nice try. Also, a lot of these underlying problems are emotional. So it's almost, they almost need a therapist there instead of an organizing expert. They don't need somebody who can show them how to fold a linen napkin into four. (laughs) Well, I think the mom, like in the one episode that we were talking about, the mom, she said that she's like, oh yeah, retail is my therapy. Like whenever I got mad at my husband, you know, it was a way to really get back at him to like hurt his wallet. I'm thinking, and then Marie's going through the stuff and she's like, oh, all your clothes like still have tags on it. Like, Like, yeah, that's not the the issue isn't the clothing. You're not like a fashionista. The issue is like you're just hoarding stuff because that's like your way of, you know, dealing with your emotions. Okay. And the second thing that really bugs me is that I don't really think that she does a bang up job. Let's just say the big reveal doesn't blow anyone's hair back. Like in this case of this couple, there were still boxes sitting out. Like, you couldn't go to, like, the container store and get some nice shelving units? Right. At least some bins. Some 
something that looked like it matched. I feel like Marie dresses in clothes that are way too big for her. Like, I, I don't know why they do that. I feel like she, first of all, she dresses like it's 1950s, but she's clearly yeah. about 85 pounds and they put her in these like grease musical skirts. Right? <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. She wears, and it's the same outfit. It's like her uniform, like teeny tiny little cap sleeve, sleeve sweater and the skirt, the A-line skirt. I don't get it. So are you going to watch another episode of the show? Uh, maybe if I can use it again as a way to convince my mom to get rid of more crap. <laughs> Devin Hammonds is executive producer of Leah Remini Scientology in the Aftermath. Welcome to the show. Thank you. To you, can you tell me a little bit about y- your career and then how this project came about? Sure. Uh, I have been in unscripted or alternative or reality, whatever you want to call it. It's gone through its different iterations, uh, television for 15 years. I started out um, in production. And then I worked at Buena Vista, which was a syndicator, but also an internal production arm at Disney where we developed for cable and broadcast and syndication. And then I went back out into production for a couple of years. And then I came back to L- to um, network side and joined A&E seven years ago. And so it's been nice to sort of bounce back and forth. And A&E is the perfect home as we were able to do both development and production. Being there, it also is sort of a general entertainment network as a cable network, which is unique. So we've done everything from, or I have done everything there from Shipping Wars to Wahlburgers to uh, Nightwatch to this series. And uh, we started doing the series right when I came back from maternity leave in 2016. And at the time, we were trying to go back to our roots of gritty, visceral programming, front row experience that had given A&E its core. And with shows like Hoarders and Intervention and First 48, and we had started to explore uh, different, different sort of controversial religions. We were, looking, we were looking at Scientology on another project, and Leah's book came out, and Leah started taking meetings, and we met with her, and we thought, she is the most prominent insider to leave and wouldn't it be fascinating to hear what she has to say and besides that we didn't really know what we were what the show was going to be except leah going around speaking to this community that she is cultivating of former members of the church of scientology and hearing their stories and as the series evolved it really became uh an investigation on how these this sort of practices, I will say, because we, we call them abuses and we call them, we, we say it's wrong, but a lot of what we're talking about and what we're exposing are not actually crimes. They are just, it's just wrong or immoral or uh, right up against the line of illegal. And then sometimes it is illegal, but because the church is a recognized and organized religion, it's a very difficult thing to report on and to challenge because they have a protected right and people in their own free will join it. It's not like they're being kidnapped and captured behind walls, uh, even though we call it the prison of belief. So um, it's been a, it's been a really fascinating series and it's been eye opening and it's been shocking. And most of all, it's been heartbreaking because these wonderful and courageous people come forward to tell their stories. And, um, 
and that only puts them into sort of the crosshairs of uh, being attacked and ridiculed for coming forward. So when you met Leah, did she say to you that it would be great to have Mike Rinder on board? How, how did that process yes. go, adding him to the, to the cast? Mike was a, a friend of Leah's that she had, I, she had known while in the church. But like I said, there's a community of people that kind of gather together once they've left because only, only, they only know each other's sort of struggle and journey. And Mike was a very, very highly decorated, I will say, um, officer within the church and a very high ranking officer. And so when he left, it was sort of a, a tipping point for many people that were in. And for people that were out, they just couldn't believe it because he had been a lifelong Scientologist. So um, he and Leah had a, a bond and a connection and were kind of helping to cultivate this group of people, a support group for people to kind of come together and be there for one another and support one another. Because when people leave, they don't have an education. They don't have a bank account. Uh, they might have, um, they have a social security number, but they don't have, they don't have job history. They, they mostly stop educating at the eighth grade and then only focus on internal. So when you're leaving at 30, 40 years old, you're like a baby. You know what I mean? People have nothing. So they really do come together. So Leah said, you know, Mike is my, my partner, my, my wingman. And he was a wonderful addition because she was merely a parishioner while she grew up in it and had been in the Sea Org. She was only in it for a year and a half, I believe. Um, Mike was, you know, inside, he was head of OSA. He was a major um, executive there. And so he really can help us speak to the policies, uh, the the thinking that happens within the church when dealing with almost anything. How hard was it to chart out the first episodes of the first season? Very hard. We, I think, made, oh, 17 cuts of the first episode because, you know, it's it's a documentary series. It's uh, A&E operates within pretty strict journalistic standards. So everything sort of needs to be fair and balanced, even though we are going to the people that have left and hearing their stories. And obviously Leah and Megan left. And so they, they, our subjects are sort of biased. A&E as a network needs to be unbiased. And so it was a very careful balancing act of getting this episode and then reaching out to the church, asking them for comment, asking them for involvement uh, getting them to engage that so we could represent both sides because that's the legal standards that we have to operate by and the journalistic standards we have to operate by. And that can be hard. And it's very hard to explain that to your contributors. It's very hard to explain that to Leah and Mike. Um, it's very hard to do as a person that's listening to these heartbreaking stories, but it's sort of the rules we had to play by. And up until a week beforehand, we were still with our legal team writing out the slates and writing out the cards and putting in all of the pull quotes that we brought from, you know, the church did not want to be on camera. They did not give us a representative, but they sent us a lot of letters and they sent us a lot of feedback on the people and the claims that we were making in the show. And so we had to represent those and we had to put them in the episodes and we had to, at the very, very end, we ended up like right before air, we had Leah reading these letters at the top of the show to kind of represent the church and that was something that we shot just like a couple of days beforehand. And literally it was sewn together to the front of the episodes in our outposting, you know, in our Stanford 
broadcasting center. That's how up to the last minute it was to try and make these episodes legally sound and um, accurate and fair. And then once the that was a process. Once the first episode aired, were you overwhelmed with this? The, the success of the show it really was unlike anything anyone had ever seen on TV. Yes, yes, and it it you know being in this business for a long time, you never know who's going to tune in at that moment. And we're obviously even though this was two and a half, almost three years ago, we're right in the middle of a change of people watching on demand and not watching live. And so we didn't know how it was going to go. We don't know how the A and E audience, which is a very uh, America audience, we're very a middle you know middle America, not just coastal. Are they going to care about this sort of tabloidy topic that has uh, captured Hollywood and people like that? But do they do they care as much? And we were overwhelmed. And um, I think the questions we had about you know it's not exactly action based. It's not exactly uh, present tense. While the fight kind of continues, the stories are past tense. We didn't know if people would be engaged and have to watch, and it was an overwhelming success and immediately kind of made us at A&E realize that our audience cares about the underdog. They care about uh, a David and Goliath story, and they cared about the unique access we had to the inside of this very secretive religion. And so then when you started to sort of chart out the, the second season, did you have an influx of people that were former members that wanted to help contribute to the series? I wouldn't call it an influx because uh, these people by nature have left a pretty damaging uh, culture and they're very afraid. Um, there's, there's an influx of people that reach out every single day saying, thank you. And I have a story, but then the matter of uh, corroborating people's claims um, making sure that we can feel good about all of the accusations and stories they're telling. When I say feel good, it's all about corroboration. And that can be difficult in these sort of situations. It's very hard to find legal footing in something that is designed to evade the law. Um, so we did have, we had a, a lot of stories. And what we, season one, we kind of really focused on disconnection because I think for any Scientologist or former Scientologist, I should say, that is the probably most egregious policy that destroys the 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 person and the family and ultimately you feel it will probably destroy the religion because if they don't evolve uh to uh, to allow people to come and go freely without having be de- being disconnected from their families it can't it can't grow you know um I'm a longtime Catholic, and if I wanted to go and practice another religion, my family wouldn't stop talking to me. Um, I think that was our focus, and that is sort of the most heartbreaking. In season two, we really wanted to talk about the other uh, the other abuses, the other horrible things that happen. And the lens that we ended up forming was talking about abuses that happen everywhere. I mean, uh, people, there, unfortunately, there's child molestation everywhere. There's depression and suicide. There's There's... Uh, child abuse. There's, there's other. Th- these are abuses that are globally, unfortunately, prevalent. But our focus was how the church handles that internally, and that um, again was something that was shocking and right on the border of wrong, or sometimes what we would consider uh, illegal that they should, you know, that the FBI and other authorities should pay attention to. So we were really collecting these stories from individuals that 
had gone through something horrible. And then when turning to their world, which was the church and the authorities there, uh, received no help and no, um, no justice. So that was sort of our, our lens for season two. And then, so now we're into season three. You did have one episode about Jehovah's Witnesses. Will you continue to cover other faiths? I don't think so. Uh, that's not on the plan now. It was just something that, frankly, the outpouring of people that clamored for Leah and Mike to please see, uh, to look at the Jehovah's Witness faith and to look at the similarities in the organization and how they keep their members um, focused on their religion and not looking at the outside world, uh, distrustful of the outside world, and using this disconnection, or they call it, um, I'm going to forget, hold on, they call it, uh, oh, I forget the term, but they, you know, it's like disconnection. Um, it's such a stranglehold on their parishioners, and those people are also grieving from lo- leaving their families. When they leave, they have to leave their children and spouses and parents and everything. And so it was just sort of a two-hour special that we dove into that, and it was very educational for Leah and Mike and for all of us, and we were really proud. We had something like 20 contributors coming forward, but it's not, it's not our, it's not A&E's goal to sort of take on religion at all. Uh, that was something that was important to Leah and Mike as champions, that they just got an, an extreme outpouring from that particular group of former JWs, and so we did a special there, but, um, you know, the, the Scientology is sort of its own thing with Lee and Mike. We kind of feel like we have the highest, the, the premium, the best of the best of the, the insiders to be able to take that on. And then it seems like the common thread for season three is follow the money, follow the money. Is that something that you're going to continue to do all season? Um, it's something we try and do all season. It's not all, it doesn't always end up coming right back to it, but it is sort of a general, you know, we did this, we, we, we have, the season has, the series has evolved. And in the beginning, it was just sort of about shining a light. And then it was about collecting this sort of, um, abundance of evidence that people should really be paying attention. And, you know, unfortunately, heartbreaking stories don't, change laws all the time. And so we really said, well, you know, one of the reasons they're able to keep operating like this is because they're a tax exempt organization. And as soon as we say tax exempt, like everybody's eyes roll and it's not really thrilling television, but truly it's, it's what happens. They are a multi-billion dollar company or a church that are able to use those funds however they see fit. And so we really kind of focused on the ways in which they are collecting, amassing wealth and using their funds and that it's not in what we would consider a very religious way. <laughs> and, and, and and in a lot of the episodes, we have this card at the top that is from the IRS and what qualifies to be a, a religion and a tax exempt status. And we kind of put that there to say then like, and now you watch this episode and tell us if you really think that this is a church that's abiding by these rules that should maintain its status of being tax exempt because that would change a lot if uh if they had to pay taxes on all of the money that they have do it you would limit their abilities do you and your crew ever have concerns about your own safety uh yes yes 
I mean, I will say in the first season, everybody really made a decision if they were going to put their name on the show. You know, they definitely target everybody that is credited. You get a lot of letters. You get a lot of mail. <laughs> you get, um, our producers have been harassed. Uh, they've been followed and they've been approached. Uh, it's all an intimidation thing. You know, I am not particularly worried. I do sometimes think, oh, what if they came to my house where my children are or whatever. But most, mostly they are able to intimidate the people that were former members because they have an abundance of, of, of uh, personal information on them from their internal auditing systems. You know, they keep all of those. It's like, imagine if your therapist was this Machiavellian person that kind of came after you and said, if uh, you don't keep coming to me, I'm going to make public everything that we ever discussed. Uh, that works on an individual on somebody that I'm like, I, you know, you're just a person. I'm not, I'm not truly concerned what you're going to say or do to me besides harass me. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there are times that you, you know, we all switched our social media to private and everybody is very careful about um, the way that they expose themselves. So there's a, there's a definite level of alarm for anyone involved in touching the show. And we, we screen all of our, producers and all of our crew and like i said it's not only a legal vetting of everything that goes out it's a legal vetting of everything that comes in and just to reiterate that you it seems like you are really a diligent about all of the procedural and legal challenges that the that the show faces can you just talk to me a little bit about how important it is for you to go through every frame of the show to make sure mm-hmm that you're being fair to both sides. Absolutely. So the process has basically been that people reach out to Leah and Mike because they are the front people that are out there in the community um, talking to folks. If a story comes forward that they would like to focus on for the episode or a contributor, they would submit them to production. We would do a background check. We would... um, interview them, we would corroborate their claims, say, well, you know, who else knows this, who else can say they saw this, witnessed this, heard you, heard from you at this time. Um, it goes through our entire legal vetting at A&E and our external, so we have an internal legal team and we have out, outside counsel. So everything gets vetted before we even, like, roll cameras. Then, once we roll the cameras and the cuts are formed, everything that comes in, I watch every single cut with at least three lawyers in the room which is incredibly time-consuming because I have seven other series, you know, and I'm used to screening on the train ride home and at home when I'm cooking dinner or something, you know what I mean? Sorry to my other producers, but I, I watch on my iPad wherever I can. These cuts are watched with a legal team, and, you know, an hour cut could take a three-hour meeting because they stop at every single accusation, claim, reference, anything, and things that are not just illegal but defamatory or hearsay or just – you know, even in Leah's like giant Brooklyn attitude, like, does she really need to be that exasperated? And we're like, well, but she is, that's her feeling, you know? And then they'll say, I really don't think it's necessary here. We're going to take that out. You know, so there's an extreme legal vetting and the, the um, atmosphere and ground in which we are analyzing everything shifts constantly because while we're doing this, we're constantly reaching out to the church, we're reaching out to its representatives, we're reaching out to people that we're making claims against, and they will respond with letters, letters from their lawyers, letters from their publicists, whoever it is, and that that's all analyzed and discussed and sent to our outside counsel, and we make these decisions 
you know, up until the last moment. And I've had to take shows off the air. You know, we had a one of our first episodes of the third season. We were we we ended up waiting on it because we just uh, felt that on a legal, you know, it 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 was something that on a on a fair and balanced, we didn't know how balanced it was, mm-hmm. and it was soul crushing because. Uh, the story and the contributor deserve to kind of have their story told. The claim was not a crime, but something that was wrong. And it was a really interesting story, but because we felt that we really couldn't find a way to balance it in the way that the church was responding and giving us their reasoning, um, our lawyers were like, why, why put this out there? Um, our whole series is so buttoned up and so true and we feel so good about it. We don't want to put something out there that is not fair. And that's hard. It's really hard to hear that when you're really making a passion project that you're like, but this is a story that needs to be told. Yeah, but it is important to be fair. And I do think you guys do a great job. What do we have to look forward to the rest of the season, season three? And then Mm -hmm. the question that everyone wants me to ask you is whether or not we will ever find out what happened to Shelley. (laughs) Um, Well, we had an episode about Shelly this season, and it kind of concluded in, we think we know where she is. We think she is alive. But the funny thing is that when we aired that, you know, we got letters from the church saying the lawyers for Shelly Miscavige find this preposterous, and Leah is an obsessed, you know, crazy person, and blah, 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 blah. But all we, you know, on our side, we were like, you know, if she's really just fine, then why not pop a camera on her and have her do a video? we we get lots of videos from the family members of people that are on our show saying, oh, they're a liar or they're not a nice person or they didn't, you know, pay their taxes or they cheated on their wife or whatever it is. They have, they have endless attack videos uh, attacking the character of our contributors, uh, hoping to not only persuade their own people, but persuade the public that the claims made on our show are to be criticized. Uh, what was amazing is that you, I really thought that if they really wanted to put this to an end, they would have Shelly do a video and, um, no video surfaced, just letters from her representation. And so it does feel like she's somewhere that, uh, they are very keen on keeping her out of the public eye. Yeah. Wow. Uh, in terms of this season, what you have to look forward to uh, coming up next, we have a two-part, two weeks in a row on Clearwater, which I think has always been something we wanted to do since it's the mecca of Scientology. And it's it's sort of a head-scratcher to the outside of like, well, why did they choose this random city in Florida to set up base? And so we sort of tell the origin story of why Scientology landed in Clearwater, how it went when they first started there, and the kind of war that they took on with the city, the mayor in the 70s, uh, the chief chief commissioner, uh, the police commissioner, rather, and then um, the citizens. And it's a very divided community there. And so it's a two-part series, really, a two-part uh, episode about Clearwater and the church and that relationship and how it happens. And I think it's fascinating. And I think the individual stories of the regular civilians of Clearwater that have taken issue with this church moving in. And then also, you know, we get the inside scoop from Mike and Leah on what it is to to be at the Mecca and what what is the intention of the church as they they remember and understand it. So that's really great. We have an episode uh, talking about 
the history with the IRS and um, other authorities. And that's, and then we have a special that is really still in edit, but it's a, it's a special about people that have been on our, our air and how the church handles sort of uh, people that come out. We've done a lot about fair gaming, but also what we've had people that have come to our, to our show, signed a release, shot something, and then decided not to be in it because of intimidation. And we kind of focus a little bit on, on what it is to make this show and, and work within this community of former members and how hard that is. So that's a pretty in, interesting special as well. The show is on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. on A&E. A&E continues to do a fantastic job of creating really interesting TV shows. And I really appreciate the hard work that you all put into it. And my thanks to you and to your crew. Thank you so much. It was so nice chatting with you, Kate. Yeah, and you thank too. you for being a fan of the show. It's important work. I want to thank my great guests this week, Mark Wahlberg, Jack Goshi, Francine Serafin, and of course, Devin Hammonds. I want to remind you, it is so important for you to go to iTunes and click the subscribe button to this show. If you do that, the show will pop up and you never have to think about, oh my God, who does Kate have on this week? It's just going to pop up on your phone. And if you could please leave me a five-star review. Guys, I'm inching my way towards 3,000 reviews. And if you take me there, I will be so grateful. You can find my Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey, if you just put that in to the search bar, Reality Life with Kate Casey. It is a bunch of incredibly observant, hilarious, cool people who are deep diving reality shows all week long. So if you want to talk about this episode, you want to talk about a show that you watched this week, you want to tell us a show we need to watch, you need to jump into the group. It's a great, great group. You can find me on Twitter at at Kate Casey. I am tweeting about shows all week long. So if you want to hear what I think while I watch one of those Real Housewives shows, Vanderpump Rules, The Masked Singer, all, any of those shows, you can catch me on Twitter. My Instagram is at Kate Casey CA. If you follow my Instagram stories, I'm letting you know during the week who I'm interviewing. So if you have questions, you can send them in. Now, next week's episode... I'm having Anthony Scaramucci, who just left the Celebrity Big Brother house. And he hasn't done any interviews yet. So it's going to be a good one. And I've also got the new Real Housewife of Atlanta. So it's like some pretty big stuff. So make sure you send me a note if you check out my Instagram stories, my Twitter feed, and my Facebook group. And then lastly, you can find my website, loveandknuckles.com. So many good TV shows. Love to hear what you guys are watching too. Have a great week. These days, getting to the things that really matter in life can be tough especially with all the distractions and the pressures out there. But at the end of the day, the things that matter, the things that we really cherish are the simple ones. And dairy milk is oftentimes a part of those moments. Milk is simple, nutritious, and fresh from the farm. Milk is part of moments that should never be taken for granted. A latte with a friend, sharing a favorite recipe around the dinner table with friends or family, or a comforting glass with milk and cookies after school. 
We love fresh dairy milk with our morning cereal, and my kids love a fresh fruit smoothie when they get home from school. Take a moment to savor the moments that really matter with milk today. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.